Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. When you have you turn your Bibles with me to, we're going to start at Matthew 11. And then we're going to spring over to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 today. It's going to be our text. But Matthew 11, at the end of the book of Matthew, I'm going to have us look. And the reason I have us here today is because the message today focuses on the under-shepherd. The under-shepherd is the pastor. The pastor is the under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I want us to do is focus on while we're looking at the under shepherd, the under shepherd in a way should be a reflection of the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at this passage today and, and consider the passage today, I want us to focus on Jesus Christ as our pastor and uh, as much as we can, there'll be some other applications and such. But as we go here to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, through 30, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, he says this, come to me all of you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You see the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus day put heavy burdens on the people. They had to do X, Y, and Z and, and beyond and beyond and beyond. And they had a rule for every little thing. And if you got out of line, then you got smashed. And that's not God. And Jesus says this. You come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You see, salvation is not about a bunch of rules and trying to, to be obedient to those rules. And when we mess up, we get smashed by God and have to try again. That's not salvation. Salvation is, I can't live the Christian life. I'm a sinner and I'm lost. And I take Christ as my Savior, and then he's my Lord, and he works in me to give me desire to now want to fulfill his commandments. And so there's rest. It's not a burden, because it's God doing the work in us. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, Jesus is our shepherd, and he cares for us. And he ministers to us and he wants the best for us. And that's what I want us to see here today. Now, go with me, please, to First Peter chapter 5. And we'll be considering again verses 1 to 4. He looks at this. Peter is challenging the elders to shepherd God's flock or to pastor God's flock. 
Now, there's four points I want to bring out today in this passage. Number one, failure is almost certain for most pastors, statistically. We'll see that today. Prayer is urgently needed. Number two, one of the primary responsibilities of the pastor, and we see the Lord Jesus Christ doing this, is to preach the word, is to feed the flock with the word of God. And Jesus often did that with his disciples. He taught them. Number three, being a shepherd or being a pastor is a calling, not a job. God calls and ordains. It's not a job. And you and I, as an application, we have certain stewardships. Parenting could be one of them. Jobs could be another. That we need to be faithful to, just as the shepherd is to God. A pastor is accountable to Christ. Believers are accountable to the church who Christ died for. And so four applications of this, again, the message is the under shepherd. And again, I think there's plenty of applications for all of us today. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray and trust that you'll take your word. You'll speak to us. You'll encourage us. Um, apply your word as you see fit. Uh, this is the word of God. My opinions do not matter. They're not worth anything. Your opinions are everything. That's all that matters. That's why you gave us your word. Father, speak to us and reach us and minister to us as you see fit. As individuals, one interpretation, but many applications. And I pray you would help me to be able to convey what's taught, but the Spirit of God has to apply this to our hearts individually. And we trust he will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Failure is certain. Prayer is needed. Steve Farrar in his book, Finishing Strong, which by the way, if you ever get a chance to read it, it's an excellent book, says this. It has been my observation that just one out of 10 who start out in full-time service for the Lord at 21 are still on track at 65. They're shot down morally. They're shot down with discouragement. They're shot down with liberal theology. They get obsessed with making money, but for one reason or another, nine out of 10 fall out. Shocking statistic. Verse eight probably gives us some insight to that. Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he made of hour. Of course, you're going to go after the head, the pastors. So I think that kind of makes sense. John Wesley said to William Wilberforce, William Wilberforce was the one that in, in Great Britain led the cause and eventually stopped the, 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 the trade of, of slaves. Wesley said to Wilberforce when he's partaking this monumental task because it was a lucrative business, he said this, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. 
But if God be for you, who can be against you? The resistance. A friend of mine was on an airplane, a believer. He's a, a godly man, a teacher in a, in a uh, seminary. He said one time he was flying on an airplane and there's a, a, a couple next to him. One of those three-seaters and, and three seats on the aisles and 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 they um, are sorry on the, on the ends and they said uh, he noticed they were praying and this man said i notice you're praying are you christians and they said no the opposite we're worshipers of the devil we have a list of pastors and we're praying that they will fall and he said he was horrified by failure is almost certain and i think that's why peter says in verse one the elders who are among you i exhort i who am a fellow elder very humble of him to say that because he was an apostle who had great authority very unique office there's only 12 apostles it's not a secession a fell a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. But he says to them, I exhort you. Excuse me, among you, I exhort. To exhort is to power clap, to put your arm around. So Peter is saying to these fellow elders, and I think pastors, um, an elder is not necessarily a pastor, but a pastor is an elder. And you have a pastor and Harry, who's pastor churches and you have me a pastor as well so you have two elders and two pastors here with you today but i am a, a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of christ he probably says that to encourage them because remember the context of this book they're being persecuted by nero and it's intense so intense they had to flee their homes into asia and asia minor and he encourages them saying, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. You're suffering, but I saw what Jesus went through. It's much worse than you are. I encourage you to keep at it. And, and, and also a partaker of the glory that would be revealed. And, and Peter says, not only a witness of the suffering of Christ, Christ and Peter himself would be martyred. He would be, um, tradition tells us he was he was um, crucified upside down because he pled not to be crucified right side up because he didn't see himself worthy. But he says, but I will be a partaker of the glory and so will you. So endure this suffering because there's glory that we can look forward to. I think that's what he's getting at here. So he encourages them. He encourages them in verse four too, I think. He says this. And when the chief shepherd appears, and that's how I get the title, under shepherd, because the pastor is the under shepherd of the chief shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. So the shepherd, the pastor, is to walk in the steps of Jesus, right? And behave as he would behave. Of course, the pastor falls well short of that. But through God's power, we strive towards that. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The, the crown there, it's not like a king's, it's, a, it's not a king's, a king's crown is like a Stephanos crown. That's a different word. 
or excuse me, that, that's, um, um, this is a Stephanos crown. Uh, the king's crown is a different one. This is more like a, a wreath. You know when in the Olympic Games, back in, way back when and during this time, they would be given, instead of a gold medal, when they won, they, there was like a wreath that was put on their head. That's that crown. It's like a victor's crown. So Peter is encouraging the pastors and saying, you will get a victor's crown. And I think by implication, if you're faithful to, to, to the end, right? So he's, he's encouraging them and, and motivating them, I think, in this, this discouraging time. So failure is almost certainly, is almost certain. And prayer is needed for the elders and, and the pastors. Now, the second thing here is we see a primary responsibility of the pastor. And again, Christ did this often as well. In verse 2, he says this, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Now, that word shepherd can be translated into pastor. Now, it's very interesting here. Now, note this. In verse 1, it says an elder. A pastor is an elder. That means there's supposed to be some type of spiritual maturity to be a pastor or an elder in a church, a leader. The pastor, the elder, is also referring to uh, he, he talks, he's talking to the elders and he tells the elder to shepherd or pastor the flock of God. So it's like, this is your task. The pastor to shepherd primarily, it could also be translated as feed. So shepherd, you could put there as feed the flock of God, which is among you. So a primarily responsibility of a pastor is to preach the word of God. In fact, that word shepherd is in the aorist tense, and it means an event. So there's, it points to a formal time, an event, where the pastor is to feed the flock or to preach. That's why we do what we do. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 is a very simple mandate. But it's amazing how many churches get this wrong. And it says, preach the word. That's pretty simple to understand, isn't it? Take the word of God, break it down, take the historical context, take the context, the immediate context, break down the words as best you can, and then take it and preach it to the congregation in an organized fashion. It's pretty simple. Pretty simple uh, instructions to understand. It doesn't say, by the way, in, in, in Timothy in that passage, 2 Timothy 4, 2, teach the word, which should be done. In preaching, there should be teaching. But there's a difference between preaching and teaching. There's a difference. If I would say to you, if you were your house was on fire and you're inside the house and I came up to you and I said, by the way, news, your house is on fire. You would say, what? Is he joking? But if I ran into your room and said, get out, your house is on fire. There's a big difference. And God says to preach the word of God. Why? Because it's true. Because it's important. Years ago, there was an actor 
or excuse me, the Archbishop of Canterbury, many years ago, I think actually back in like the 1600s, the story goes, is went to a actor. I think his name was Mr. Butterfield, something like that. And he said to him, Mr. Butterfield, tell me this. Why is it that you actors, when you act, your audience acts as though it's real? And he says, but when I preach, my congregation acts like it's not real. And the actor said, well, that's easy. Because when I act, I act as it is real and true. But when you preach, you preach like it's not real and true. And that's why God says to preach the word. Because it is true. Now, the shepherd is to preach and to teach. Go with, you, with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10. Because you're not the one that's the pastor, so how does this apply to me? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Ephesians 4, verse 10. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And then the Bible says in verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles. The idea is gifts to the church. The apostles, the 12 apostles, were a gift to the church and were very important in establishing the church. But there are no more apostles today. There were 12 apostles. Some prophets. You look in the Old Testament and the prophets and how God used them to, to help in the in in. in putting out the foundation of the church. And even in the early days of the church, the prophets were important. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, that he built the church on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They don't exist today either. Some evangelists, and the evangelists, I think, probably emphasizes, his emphasis is on the church planner. That's what we did in Ireland. We started churches. So there's the church plan of the churches and then turns it over to the pastor. And then, and this is I think what applies most of the church today, and some pastors and teachers. Now that phrase, pastors and teachers, there's a Greek rule called the Granville Sharp Rule. It applies here. And when it, when it applies here, based on the structure, it means it's the same person. So it could say the pastor slash teacher. That's the idea. Why did God give the pastor teacher to the church? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and the key here, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It means to build up, to strengthen. Now, how is the body of Christ strengthened? If I'm up here telling illustration, illustrations, giving illustrations and giving stories or, or you know, telling you nice stories. Does that really help you? Well, it might entertain you for a little bit. But we take the word of God and you preach the word of God and the word of God is spiritual nourishment to your body. It's like milk it's being referred to. It's referred to as meat and it is to build you up 
and to strengthen you so you're more like Christ. And I believe the most important or the biggest primary need in the church today, and I'm talking about the whole umbrella of Christendom and even evangelicalism, is the unadulterated preaching of the Word of God. And when I say unadulterated, it means I don't care necessarily if people like it or not. I just have to take it and break it down and say, this is what the Word of God says. And then that's between you and God. But if I don't break it down and teach it, then I have a problem with God, don't I? I'll stand before God and I'll give an account. But it's the strength. Now, let me give you another one because we looked at this. Uh, Brother Mark read this. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 22. The key then with the word of God is not to just hear the word, but allow the word of God to work in us. And that doesn't mean every time the message is preached, there's some great changes in our lives. But it means that the word of God is slowly influencing us. It's molding us. It's shaping us. And we have to listen to it. And then we have to study it on our own, own as well. Because the world is trying to shape us into its image. And so there's a battle that goes on. Now, James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, we can hear the word of God and we can even say, God spoke to me today. But how does it influence us? That's the question. You see, we can deceive ourselves to think, well, I've gone to church or I've gone to Sunday school or I've gone to a Bible study, I've kind of done my duty, and then we just put it on a shelf. And that doesn't do any good, does it? He says this, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forget what, forgets what kind of man he was. You see, the word of God we ought to read it and study it and pray over it, not just intellectually to say, God, what are you saying to me? And what adjustments do I need to make? None of us looks at the mirror. Rarely do we look at the mirror. We wake up in the morning and say, all right, cool. And we roll out. Now that happened probably in Ireland, probably more than it shouldn't have. That's just how the people work, right? But most of us look in the mirror and we make some adjustments. Okay, And God says, how much more? But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Now note that. You see it? It's the law of not bondage. That's religion. Liberty. Why? What does the word of God do? The word of God frees us from sin. It frees us from habits. It frees us from bondage. But we've got to spend time in the word of God and not just to trickle. Years ago, when I was in college, I used to landscape in the summers. And uh, one day I was landscaping. I hit a rock and, and a stone and a piece of the stone went into my eye. And I tried, you know, the, you know, you put the eyelid over the eye and wash it with water and eye drops. And finally, 
after several hours, I said, I've got a problem here. So I went to the hospital, and when I went to the hospital, they put me in this, like a vice, and, and, they, and the guy said, you're going to feel like you're drowning. I'm just going to tell you that. And it, you did. He, he, he kept throwing water and water and water in my face for, it seemed like, hours. It was probably like five or ten minutes, but just gushing water. And finally, that thing came out. And that's how it is with sin. You see, we can't just casually read the word of God. We've got to gush over it. And, and to get out some of those habits, we've got to fill ourselves with the word of God. Meditating day and night because our world keeps bombarding us to pull us away from God. So yes, preach the word. But man, we've got to be in the word. Now, number three. Let's go back to First Peter. We only have two more verses, so. Chapter 5, verse 2. Point 3. It's a calling, not a job. It's a calling, not a job. Jeremiah and Jeremiah, chapter 1, I think verse 5, verse 6, somewhere around there, talks about him being separated by God from his mother's womb, which, by the way, shows you you're a person in your mother's womb, right? Separated from his mother's room. The Apostle Paul said a similar thing in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. It was a calling. Now, look what he says here in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. By the way, that word overseer is translated as bishop. It's not a separate office. The pastor, elder, bishop is the same person. It just shows you the... Um, job that the pastor is supposed to do. The pastor is supposed to teach, he's supposed to be a mature believer, and he's supposed to oversee the church as one is a, and, and gives an account. Serving as overseers, but then he says this, not by compulsion, but willingly. Why does he say that? You're not just serving because God says, you know, you have to. Well, that means God says you have to, right? So the pastor is called by God and God says, you must be in full-time ministry and you don't have a choice about that. You're called. God called me out of secular work in 1990 into the ministry. God called the apostle Paul. Now, let me show you. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 for a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. And I'm going to give you some applications for yourselves here. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the the gospel. Now, the word gospel, the, the, the idea is when he says preach the gospel in this context, I think it means the gospel ministry. In other words, I have been called into the gospel ministry. I was called out into being an apostle. And if I turn back into my secular job, judgment is upon me. That's what he's saying. There. So he's saying, I don't get patted on my back. 
for being in the gospel ministry. I think that's the idea. So woe is me. But then he says this. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with the stewardship. Okay. So the idea is, is for pastors, let's say today, is pastor willingly. You want to do it. It's not a burden. That's the idea. But if it becomes a burden from time to time, still do it. That's the idea. Now, he also says this thing, I have been entrusted with a stewardship, a responsibility, if you will. You have been entrusted with stewardship as well. Those of us that are parents, we don't turn in. Our, you know, some days say, well, the children are out of the house. I am now done being a parent. I hang that up. I'm glad that's done. And I move on. Sometimes we want to. But we don't. That's a stewardship. Today, society is telling parents to be a friend instead of a parent. And the Bible says, quite opposite, that you have authority over your children. And you are to tell them, uh, when they're younger particularly, what to do and give them guidance and direction. Not be their friend. Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. It's ridiculous. Stewardship. Some of us, as children, have a stewardship of taking care of our parents, perhaps. And that can be a burden. And days go by, and weeks go by, and months go by, and it can be frustrating. But God says this is a stewardship. Be faithful. Be faithful. God sees your faithfulness. God sees our pain. God sees the hardship. God sees that we don't get pats on the back sometimes. It could be our job. Do you know that God gave you a job and God says, I'll provide for you. And so the job isn't necessarily for money, but to be a testimony to others around us. It's a stewardship. And we will stand before God and give an account. Now, interesting, as I'm in this context, because it leads into the next point, verse 14, even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. That's why we call it full-time ministry, because it's a commandment. Those that are in the ministry are paid to minister primarily, the salary, which brings us to our next point, our next point. Uh, a next uh, point I want to make within point three. Go go back to First um, Peter chapter five verse two, and let me show you what I'm trying to say because I'm not saying it right. So First Peter chapter five verse two, he says this. It's interesting. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly. We just saw that, not for dishonest gain but eagerly. The word dishonest gain is filthy lucre. So if you had a job where they are doing things that were against the law, that's considered filthy lucre. And God says, don't do a job like that. For the pastor, I think in the context here, when he says, 
not for dishonest gain, and he contrasts that with, but eagerly. I think he's saying is that you have to do this, not you have to take this not as a job, but you have to be excited about it. You have to want to do it. That's why he says eagerly. He notice he contrasts it. He contrasts it dishonest gain with eagerly. In other words, if you're not eager, if you're not excited, if you just took this just for a paid position, that's filthy lucre. You see, God led me to this church after much prayer on your end and our end. That's why I'm here, because this is what God wants. And that's why he called me. Now, Again, and I would say the same to reiterate the point is that not only don't take a job that is dishonest gain, filthy lucre, but at your job, you want to be good at it. Remember Daniel, Daniel 6. And Daniel was going to be promoted into uh, from one of the, I think it was like 120 governors to like a position, I think like three, somewhere around there, Daniel 6. And, and, and he was being considered, even though he was a Jew in the Persian Empire, because he had an excellent spirit. And if you look at that term, that term means that he was good at what he did. He was good at his job, is the idea. In fact, I might have, I might have had something. I'm not sure if I put that. I don't think I, I included that. Um, but the idea is that he was good at his job. And so God wants you to be good at your job and work hard at your job and, and, and give an honest day's work at your job. And if you don't, it's like a pastor that pastors a church just for the money, but the heart's not in it. And so there's application for you. Now, the final point is a pastor is accountable to Christ and believers to the church. Now, we're all accountable for ourselves. We'll give an account for our own lives. But believers will also give an account for how they behaved in the church. And a pastor will give an account how he pastored the church. In verse 3, he says this, Not as being lords... The word there is the idea is, and it says not as being lords over, catacurious. It means to lord against. The pastor, and, and think of a shepherd. The shepherd is not to drive the sheep, right? He's to lead the sheep. And a pastor is not to drive the sheep, but he's to lead the sheep and to teach the sheep and to be an example of how to walk with Christ to the sheep. Now, this implies authority. He's not to be lord over. There's some type of authority in, in the church, and certainly preaching the word, there's authority over those in trust of you, but being examples to the flock. And then it says, and when the sheep shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, in verse 3, now notice, nor is being lords over those entrusted to you. 
Entrusted by whom? By God. You see, you're the sheep of Jesus Christ. And I'm a sheep of Jesus Christ. But Jesus said to me, I will appoint you to be my shepherd over this flock. But you, you, you're going to answer to me for how you do it. That's humbling. Pray for me. That's very humbling. I take that very seriously, especially when I'm preaching the word. So there's an accountability there. But the believers to the church. Now, we're going to close in Matthew 18. Now, the church, in some ways, is in a transition because I'm the new pastor and I'm still trying to work my way through. And, uh, and Pastor Harry's been a great help, as has Fran, and, and some, some of you as well. And so we're in this kind of like this transition period as we move into a new era. But God would have you as believers be a part of a local church. And not only when I say a part of, I mean be a member. And that's something, again, if you've been coming, eventually we want to encourage you to do that. Now, where do I get that? I get that from Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5. Now look what it says. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him of his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Okay, so it's a teaching. This is prior, this is prior to the church, but crisis. Uh, I think the church began at the day of Pentecost, but Jesus is teaching about the church prior to the, the beginning of the church. Recall in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church, right? That's what he's doing. So he spoke about the church in Matthew 16. He speaks about it here. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. So if somebody does, the idea of sin here is not some little, you know, small thing. It's something that was, you know, a, a serious sin, something that was offensive. And, and instead of going and telling other people, do you believe so-and-so did this? The first thing we always, always do is we go to the person and we talk about it and we work it out. And oftentimes it's a misunderstanding and it gets worked out. Thank God. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now we're getting to this realm we call church discipline, 1 Corinthians 5, right? Somebody's a member of the church, and they've gone off, and, and it's, it's something that's not comfortable. And sometimes you have to go to a person, um, and, and you have to confront that person about this sin and if they're living in this sin and they're not willing to turn from it then you bring two or three others preferably the elders and the deacons of the church and you talk to them with the idea of restoring them right so you go and in verse 17 and if he refuses to tell them tell it to the church right so then you go before the church and say, so-and-so is a member, but they're living in sin, and we went through the steps, and they're not willing to repent. And then the church sends out this formal letter or context. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be like a heathen 
and a tax collector. And if you combine 1 Corinthians 5, that means you remove their membership. Okay? You don't physically take them and throw them out the church doors. Right? You remove their membership. What does that imply? That implies you should be a member. And so we're accountable to the church, to the covenant, to each other, and to live for Jesus Christ. And so the pastor stands before Christ and gives an account as a shepherd. But you stand before Christ and say, were you a part of a church? Did you go to church? Did you use your gifts for the church? Did you live a life that is accordance to what your church believes or were there secret things going on? Accountability. And so in this message of the under shepherd, we see Christ being the shepherd, we see there's applications for us. Pray for your pastor. Listen and be available when the word of God is preached and be in the word. Be faithful to your stewardship, maybe in the church, maybe out of the church, maybe in your jobs. Be part of the church. Be part of it. No man is an island. Be part of the church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he died for the sins of all the world. But in a special way, it says that he died for the church. Father, we as a local church are accountable to Jesus Christ on how we live. Individually, but corporately as well. Revelation 2 and 3 make that clear. Father, we thank you that Christ is our shepherd and we all look to him as our example. We thank you, Father, that you ordain and call a shepherd to preach and teach and to shepherd the flock. We thank you for our church leadership. We thank you, Lord, that we have two pastors here. We thank you, Father, for, for Pastor Harry and the years of pastoring here and being an elder here and shepherding. We thank you for his leadership and wisdom. We thank you, Lord, for our deacons as well, who serve and give counsel. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a leadership to walk forward in unity. I pray as a church, we would walk forward in unity. And I pray, Father, in these dark days that we would grow close to Christ and close to one another. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.